Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 19th, 2020, including Xbox Series X and S had a very successful launch, 343 teases more Halo Infinite news coming soon, Xbox wants Bethesda games first or best or whatever on their platform, and more. let's make this one quick i got a frozen pizza in the oven so this week halo master chief collection got its xbox series x and s update it actually got just a massive update overall so halo 4 is now on pc the game got its xbox series x and s next gen upgrade Uh, and most importantly halo the master chief collection is now officially cross play so if your nephew is a PC Master Race nerd, and you have Xbox because you didn't invest $4,000 of your life into a gaming PC, then you guys can now play together. So that's exciting. So, okay. And then, so I, I played, I booted this up the other day when the patch went live and was excited to see what 120 FPS looked like on Halo. And I, I got to be really honest with you guys. Like, for the longest time, I thought it was my TV, but I was so hyped about 120 frames per second gaming and now i'm so like i'm kind of torn about the the reality of having 120 hertz or 120 fps uh gaming on on consoles and and this is what i mean so i'm a believer okay i know like especially earlier in the in the when when 120 fps started becoming like the like spec optimization for like hardcore pc gaming i remember back in those early days there was a lot of talk about you know, whether or not the jump from 60 frames per second to 120 really mattered that much. And I think it's pretty easy and agreeable to say, you know, the jump from 30 frames to 60 is much bigger and much more noticeable and much and much more important than the jump from 60 to 120. It's it's that kind of, you know, that that whole concept of like diminishing returns. You can, you know, it gets to a point where it's so good that, you know, doubling or tripling the power or the fidelity starts to you know leave you with less like jaw dropping and awe-inspiring results so I, I think that's a pretty understandable thing but then you know 120 you know 120 hertz refresh rates and that kind of optimize or frame per second support on devices and things like that became more relevant in my sphere in my non-pc gaming sphere when that started becoming a trend in phones about a year or two ago when a bunch of android phones started jumping on the 120 hertz um, display kind of bandwagon and i got the razor phone 2 which until recently was my was my kind of daily driver or my my go-to cell phone and so i used the razor phone 2 for a long time I know what a 120 hertz display looks like, you know, on a phone, and it made a world of difference. Like 120 hertz made my phone look so beautiful. Like I would drop it down to 90 hertz or 60 hertz sometimes when I wanted to conserve battery. And I remember, like, every time you drop down to a lower refresh rate, you just immediately go, "Oh my! God, I can't believe we used to use phones at this, you know, at this." Uh, at this kind of refresh rate. And, you know, iPhone has been the famous example for me because my girlfriend and seemingly everyone else in the fucking universe has an iPhone. So whenever I see literally anyone's phone that isn't my my Razer phone, I'm just like, oh my God, your display is disgusting. I can't believe it's so like jaggedy and shitty. And it's so weird because the jump from 30 to 60 is like 
okay, now the game runs well, or now the screen looks good. The jump from 60 to 120 is like, I didn't realize I needed this jump, and now when I look back, the old thing looks like shit. And so there, there's a method to this 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 long walk around I'm doing here. But when I switched over to my current phone, which is not does not have 120 hertz refresh rate, it took some getting used to because for a first couple of weeks I was like, wow, I really miss that buttery display. Um, but I, I switched over to my current phone that that doesn't support 120 hertz. Um, but nonetheless, I, I did anyway because I love this phone. And the reason why I bring all that up is just to say. That's what set up my expectations leading into this next generation for like what it meant for the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 to now support um, 120 hertz hertz display TVs and 120 FPS gaming. So that was my expectation. So this summer when I bought a new TV in preparation for the Series X, I made sure it had a 120 hertz refresh rate. I made sure it was capable of 120 FPS on you know Call of Duty and Halo and all that shit because I was really looking forward to that. But the reality of it is now that the consoles are here, now that we have the ability to do 120 FPS, I'm extremely just, I don't know if disappointed is is the word, maybe just whelmed. I'm just extremely whelmed by uh, by this uh, by this addition to gaming or this, uh, you know, to, to console gaming. So I played, I think Master Chief Collection was the best example of this. I, I changed it to 120 FPS or it just rather... If your TV supports it and your Xbox settings are set up for it, it will just automatically do that on Master Chief Collection. And I could barely notice a difference. I was like, yes, this is technically somewhat better, but I'm not having my mind blown at all. And I tried I tried Halo 2, 4, and Reach just to like try a couple different Halo games to just, you know, see like if if it varied game to game. But no, like all of them felt roughly the exact same. So I was like, okay, this is this is a little, you know, just, I don't know, underwhelming, I guess. And then the bigger offender, because this is the one I was really looking forward to, is Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. So the game came out last Friday, and I've been playing a shit ton of it, and I was so pumped for, like, you know, because Call of Duty was kind of the game that set the standard for 60 FPS, or at least in the console space it did, you know? So so I feel like, I feel like in, what better game to have usher in this era of console gaming at 120 fps than call of duty you know because they they were so ahead of the time with that back when it came to 60 fps in the xbox 360 era so i was really excited to experience 120 fps gaming on call of duty and when i finally got it set up which by the way is just like as a side note such a convoluted fucking mess getting that set up if, if you have a tv that doesn't support 4k and 120 fps like mine doesn't um then you then it's such a pain in the ass just like getting into the Xbox settings, figuring out what you need to do to make the game understand that you're trying to do like 1440p at 120 FPS instead of 4K 60. So that's a whole tangent. But uh, I mean, just playing through playing through Call of Duty on uh, uh, on 120 FPS immediately, I was just like, do I not have my TV set up right? Like, what is going on here? So I went through all my TV settings, reset everything to make sure everything was optimized the way I wanted it, went through the Xbox settings, make sure everything was set up the way I wanted to, even recalibrated the HDR and everything because I wanted to extract as much beauty from the console doing 1440p with HDR at 120 FPS since I wouldn't be able to do 4K and ray tracing. So I'm just like trying to optimize it, get everything looking as good as possible uh, while maintaining 120 frames. And f like I just go through all the settings on my TV, on my console, and then in the game settings themselves, and 
like I'm playing the game and man, I just I just don't notice a night and day difference. Now to to see what was going on or like if if maybe retroactively I'd see a big difference, kind of like when I switched from a phone with 120 hertz refresh rate to a 60 hertz phone. I uh, I, I went to the Xbox settings, I put it up to 4K 60, and then jumped back into Call of Duty to see if I'd even notice it. And I'll be honest, like yes. It's this annoying thing where, like, now if I play Call of Duty at 60 frames per second, the game looks like jaggedy bullshit. But if I bump it up to 120 FPS, it doesn't look like next-gen buttery smooth. It looks like what I used to think 60 FPS looks like. So it's just, like, this broken thing. It's it's not like 120 FPS, like, blew my mind and, like, brought me into the next generation. It just broke me because I used to think 60 looked pretty good. And now I think 120 looks like what I remember 60 looking like, and 60 looks like shit. But 120 doesn't look revolutionary or next gen. So it's like I'm caught in this like really weird place where it's like if I play Call of Duty at 60 FPS, which I used to be fine with until a few weeks ago, I can have 4K and ray tracing and the game looks beautiful. But because my TV doesn't support 4K ray tracing and 120 FPS all at the same time, I have to pick one or the other. So I, I lean into performance over over visuals. So I do the 1440p, no ray tracing with 120 FPS. And it's it's just kind of shitty because like it just kind of feels like I'm playing an Xbox One game because yeah, the game looks great and yeah, 120 FPS is is nice, but again, it's like it looks and plays like how I feel like Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019 looked and played last year when I was playing my Xbox One and that game first came out. So I feel like this whole upgrade to 120 FPS has kind of broken me. And uh, I'm I'm a little, little, just a little like bummed out and just kind of annoyed by the whole thing. But nonetheless, I mean, I'm I'm all in now. I'm, I'm 120 FPS because if I jump down to anything lower, I, I certainly notice it. So it kind of sucks, but I wish I wish I was more like excited and and like I don't know, moved by this, but that's just not the case. But yeah, that's uh, my that's my little opening my little opening argument here about some next gen information. I thought we'd just talk a little bit more about before we get into the comments. Just talk a little bit more about the Xbox Series X. It felt weird last week because obviously I opened the show with about 20, 25 minutes, just kind of talking about the my impressions of the console and just the excitement of it now being out but it felt weird to then jump into like the comments and the news and in the regular segments of the show as if it was just a regular week when last week was clearly a very special week so i figured you know we'll talk a little bit more about the console this week at the beginning of the show just because i mean it really is the biggest thing happening right now. We're we're not looking at a crazy news week because, again, the big news is that these new consoles are out and people are playing them and the holiday releases are coming out and people are playing these games. So it's not really about the news so much as, you know, all this stuff we've been talking about for months and years now is finally here. So, yeah, one thing I want to talk about the Xbox Series X and I guess S as well since it's the same thing that I didn't really touch on last, last week as much is the controller. So... I, I mean, I mentioned some things about the controller, but I wanna I wanna put this out. I guess this is kind of like my thing with the 120 frames per second argument, where like the controller for the Xbox One to me feels like the ultimate controller. It's it is 100% top to bottom a perfect controller. Until I held an Xbox Series X controller, I was 100% convinced that there is no better controller that exists in this world than an Xbox One controller. And that's whether you're talking about just a classic $60 controller that comes packed in the box or if you're talking about the Elite Series controller, like any of them, the fit the Xbox One 
family of controllers, that era of Xbox game pads. Best controllers ever made, just period, hands down, no contest. But now that I've played with the Xbox Series X controller, I'm conflicted again because the Xbox Series X, for those who don't know, like for this console, Microsoft didn't want to change the controller so much because, you know, ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing because it's such a, they already had such a great controller on their hands. But I brought it up on the show before that they were kind of like obsessive with wanting to optimize the controllers, like hand feel and size and everything to really fit and be ideally sized and fit for as many different types of people as possible, you know, regardless of, you know, size or whatever. So anything from like a seven-year-old child to a 48-year-old man, you know, that kind of thing. So they they actually shrunk the controller on the Series X and asked this new controller. It's technically a little smaller. I think they say it's like something like 3% smaller. I don't I, I don't know if that number is right, but it's like something that's like almost negligible how, how much smaller they made it. And it's literally just so that, you know, people who are already comfortable with the controller won't really notice the size difference. And people with smaller hands might notice that now it's a little more comfortable than it used to be. So it's supposed to be like one of those win-win things. So... I didn't personally notice the size difference when I used the Xbox Series X controller. And I think that's saying something considering, you know, I've spent the past seven years using the Xbox One controller on almost a daily basis. So clearly, I this is a thing I have a lot of muscle memory with. This is a thing I've used quite extensively for almost a decade now. Um, so I think that's impressive that they were able to improve on the controller while making it feel entirely normal for people like me who are used to it, while apparently making it, you know, a little more optimal for those with smaller hands. So yeah, the first, like, for the longest time, I've been playing the Xbox Series X now and thinking the controller feels no difference in terms of size and fit and everything. Obviously, the D-pad's improved, and that's been a little weird getting used to, but I actually quite like the new D-pad. And they have the share button, which I love, and they've added more grip around the controller and on the bumpers and the triggers. So there are some tweaks here and there, but you know, to me, the big one is this size difference and that share button and that D-pad. That size difference, it just, it just didn't, I didn't notice it at all until, the other day, my girlfriend was going to play Call of Duty Zombies with me, So we, which, by the way, is completely broken. Apparently, you can't do it on split screen yet. Um, but anyway, we were trying to get that set up, and so I used my, for a secondary controller, I used my old Xbox One controller, and the second I picked it up to pair it with my Series X, all of a sudden, I was like, wow, this controller feels a little bit bigger. Like, something, something's off here. This controller feels bigger. So, again, here we are with the same problem I had about the 60 frames per second to 120. Now I'm having this with the controller where I picked up the Series X controller. It didn't feel next-gen per se. It just felt like a slightly improved, like, barely even remotely improved version of the Xbox One controller. It felt like ergonomically exactly the same, and I just picked it up, felt from immediately at home, and went right back to gaming as always. But now, when I go back and I pick up an Xbox One controller, it feels just a little bit too big, and the fit is like just a little bit off. So, I mean, yes, this is a good thing, I guess, because it means they've only made the controller better now, but again, I'm having this thing where like I have three Xbox One controllers and one Series X controller because, it, you know, the one that came in the box and I can only use my Series X controller because now when I try to use one of my old Xbox One controllers, it just suddenly feels off in size. And I also love that that share button. So that's there, too. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, now that's broken. So I guess my girlfriend will always be forced to use the Xbox One controllers so that I can be the little princess I am and have that nice new shiny fully optimized for my 
Tiny Hands uh, Series X controller. So yeah, that's uh, that's something I wanted to bring up. Other than that, just some like additional thoughts about the console now that I've had it for a full week. It really is hard to talk about some of the improvements and the differences in the console when the whole point of this next generation of Xbox really is bringing everything together and building an ecosystem rather than generations of hardware. So, you know, the Xbox Series X very intentionally feels like the Xbox One, which, you know, feels like the computer Xbox app, which feels like xCloud and all that stuff. So they're trying to create that parity and uniformity across all the platforms of Xbox. So I get that, and I think it's a great move in the long run, but it's hard for me to, like, look around the dashboard and be like, oh, man, the Xbox Series X is so much better for this, this, and this. Like, I love having live themes. That's a nice touch, and like I said last week, I can't wait for them to take better advantage of that and start you know, like selling themes to different games. So you can buy like the Halo one or the Gears of War one or whatever. And I, I love being able to get into the settings and tinker around more with the kind of specs and things like that so that you can tailor your game experience to the kind of, you know, the kind of things you prefer, whether it be resolution or frame rate or HDR and all this stuff. So I like all that. Um, but with that comes like this issue where like the way developers and games decide to address you know performance and optimization on their games is so wonky because you can go to the xbox settings and change certain settings to affect the game or you can go into the game itself and it has certain settings that that affect things so here's what i mean by that and, and let me use the same two games i just used as the example so halo master chief collection a first party game microsoft studio 343 all that uh, perfect example. So that update came out. It comes with FOV slider, 120 FPS, all these things. To adjust, you know, to get 4K or to get 120 FPS, you don't go into the game settings and adjust those things. You just go into the console settings, and if every if your console's set up for those things like 4K or 120 FPS or whatever, then the game's going to run like that. You're good to go already. But with Call of Duty, third-party game, third-party publisher, not a multi-platform game, not Xbox exclusive, it's super fucking annoying because you go into the game, then you go into the game settings, and it shows if if ray tracing or 120 FPS are enabled or disabled, but you can't toggle them in the game settings. You have to go in, you have to exit out of the game, close the app, go into your settings, adjust the settings on your TV or on your console rather, and then reload the game. And if you set it up correctly on your console, then it will be reflected in the game. But you can still refer to the settings within Call of Duty to see if the changes you made on the system settings are reflected in the game. So it's not like I can go into the settings on Call of Duty and turn ray tracing on or off. What I have to do is go into my Xbox settings, turn off turn off 120 FPS and do 4K HDR, and then I can have ray tracing turned on. So it's like this really weird workaround to do these things where it's like you view the settings in the game, but you toggle the settings on the console. Whereas with Halo, it's like you just toggle the settings on the console and then the the changes are already made in the game. It's just it's just this whole weird lack of uniformity on how this works. And it seems like it's even worse on PlayStation because I, I've been listening to the PlayStation podcast I always listen to and Sacred Symbols. And uh, they were they were kind of talking about how they have similar problems like that on PS5, but it's even worse because they don't do the whole like optimize for Series X thing. They don't have like an optimize for PS5 kind of smart delivery marketing feature. And therefore, like they have this issue where like you can download Spider-Man Miles Morales and be playing for some reason like PS4 variant of the game on your PS5, even though 
you put the PS5 game in your PS5. And so it, it seems like there's a lot of like growing pains, like early adopter kind of shit happening with this setting up the game, optimization, which version you're trying to play, how you're trying to play the game right now. And I think Xbox is doing a pretty admirable job with this. But again, it just seems like there's so many factors at play between so many platforms, so many developers, so many publishers that we need to kind of navigate these waters and figure out a way to kind of uniform or unify and uh, and uh, decide and design a uniform approach to this so it's less confusing and it doesn't have to be based on like a console by console or game by game basis how we adjust settings. But nonetheless, that's just kind of something that's irking me a little bit. That's actually a perfect example of how the Xbox Series X kind of feels like a gaming PC because normally with a video game console, you know, that's the whole convenience of it is you just put the game in and you play and you don't think about anything. But now, you know, based on what TV you have, what console you have, what game you have, what version of the game you have, there's all these different settings and features that we can adjust and calibrate and toggle on and off. And it feels very PC all of a sudden, not not politically correct, but like personal computer, you know? So I, I don't know. That's a, it's not really a big gripe or a big issue, but it's something I'm noting. And it's something that definitely I think is Obviously, I'm I'm like a hardcore Xbox fanboy, so I'm going to go out of my way to figure out how these things work and figure out how to navigate these kinds of situations. But you think about the more casual people, the people who just like these things and buy a console and buy video games and maybe are mildly interested in these kinds of things, but they don't maybe know how to optimize these things or set up their settings accordingly because it's kind of set up in an obtuse PC-like way. So I don't know. That's just it's just a weird thing. Other than that... To me, again, the biggest thing with the Xbox Series X to me is just how fast it is. I love how fast things install. I love how fast games load. I love not having loading screens for the most part in, in my games. I just, I love how fast and responsive and buttery smooth just getting in and out of shit is. And that's, to me, that's like the big, <laughs> the big win there. But other than that, I'm still really enjoying the console, still playing it every single day, except today because I went to work all day and now I'm going to podcast. So, what was me? I guess I won't be playing video games today, but I'm sure life will go on. But yeah, those are some additional thoughts after playing through um, playing some more Xbox over the past week. Now, we'll jump into some comments, and I think this first comment kind of puts a nice bow on everything I was saying and and, and sums up the Series X quite well. Um, Count, so Count Skyler wrote in, and it's, it's a lengthy little paragraph here, but I think this is, uh, I don't know, I just think this kind of sums up my thoughts and feelings about the Xbox Series X as well, and I'm sure a lot of people feel similarly. So he says, Series X is nothing short of incredible, but waiting for these new next-gen experiences is painful. It's clearly an investment for the future for... Um it's clearly an investment for the future, not for right now. So if anyone here missed out, don't fret just yet. With the Game Pass and free Series X enhancements rolling out, there's a ton to play, but it feels a lot like an Xbox, like the Xbox One X launch. Going back yet again to play a bunch of games I've already played just to test out new features. A big launch game, the big launch games, Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, and Dirt 5 are not uh, my favorite genres at all. I'm really missing Halo, but the hardware does not disappoint. It is everything promised and the quality of life improvements that you have to 
uh, that you have to experience to understand. Playing at 120 FPS on the console uh, with hardly any load times is surreal. I'm sort of in disbelief that Microsoft Studios couldn't throw together a single new campaign demo or multiplayer beta uh, that shows off the new system, any franchise, and really hoping that they have something new to show or share before the end of the year. Well, the news this week might might indicate something about that. Uh, I have access to hundreds of games, and I'm looking over my shoulder thinking, what is so special about the new PS5 controller and Astro Boy? I think you mean Astro Bot. I think it's called Astro Bot, right? Having a single showcase first-party experience would have prevented any of that uh, and helped capture the next-gen magic most launches include. So yeah, I think, like I said, that just sums up the experience really well. And I and I think that's, I think that's really the the one thing that the Xbox Series X is missing. I have, like, really everything I've talked about thus far is is ranging from like, oh, that's cool, or oh, I'm nitpicking. But really, like, the only thing the Series X needed for it to go from like a really awesome console to like, wow, that's such a pivotal moment, such an amazing moment in Xbox history, would just to have been, you know, to have one game one thing and it didn't have to be halo infinite i know everyone talks about how like oh halo was sorely missed and yeah i agree with that i think we can all agree it would have been amazing if halo infinite were completely ready super polished amazing looking ready to go out the gate day one with the xbox series x we can all agree that would have been so awesome but i don't even think that's what the Xbox Series X is sorely lacking. Like, yes, that would be the best case scenario, but like if they just had anything like what PlayStation has with Astrobot or Astro Room or Astro's Play it's called Astro's Playroom. That's what it's called. If 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 Xbox just had anything like that, um, I think it would have done them a lot of good. Just be like you know, like think about all these smaller games they released this year. I don't know. You could say grounded, but someone said grounded. I think someone in the comments said grounded recently. But I think that's a great example, but at the same time, I feel like they could have done something a little more like tech dom- tech demo-y. It would have been nice if they just had an experience or something to be like, hey, this isn't like the big 45-hour next-gen launch game, but this is a bite-sized something to demonstrate what Xbox has in store for this console, what we believe the power of the Series X is, and and I think that's that experience is sorely lacking. So I definitely agree with that. And just like you say, I'm not a huge Assassin's Creed watchdogs kind of fan either. So a lot of these launch games don't appeal to me. It's it's for me. It's also been a lot of like, let me play this game. I've been playing for years anyway, just because it has a series X update or, you know, call of duty, which has really been my go-to these past or this past week rather. But yeah, that's a, that's a great comment. I think that really sums up the general like gist of, of what's happening here with the new console launch. My brother says, speaking to that, my brother says, every time I turn on my series X, I think I was supposed to be playing infinite right now. My heart breaks. Uh, that being said, the lack of new games is making me try new things, and it's actually pretty fun. I got the new Assassin's Creed, which I would not normally bother with, and uh, and I'm having a blast with it. I also got Warhammer Diablo clone uh, Chaos Bane uh, because it's Series X enhanced. So yeah, sad, but it's cool to branch out with different games. So this is, I like this comment because this is like basically devil's advocate to what, you know, Count Scotilla and I kind of feel like about the console, where it's like, yeah, we didn't get, you know, that specific halo kind of game or like some first party little tech demo thing. It's just something really special to launch with the console. But a lot of people still feel that, that pressure or desire to be like, well, Hey, I got this new next gen console. I want to buy something with it. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, it's, it's funny. You mentioned Assassin's Creed and watchdogs. Ubisoft has actually like publicly, 
is actually like publicly famous for this, how they always want to be at the forefront of every console launch because so many games sell so well at the launch of a console just because they're available and people want new games for their new console. So that's why you see a lot of games that aren't like particularly standout or great usually sell sell well at the beginning of a console generation is for that reason. Not to insinuate that Assassin's Creed is that kind of game because obviously Assassin's Creed is a massive franchise. But I see that that kind of optimism and that I don't know that like open mindedness with the with the launch library and just trying to make the most of the situation and and I and I appreciate that because I definitely understand where you're coming from and I, and I definitely could see myself being that way as well if I had. A little more disposable income and free time right now. Maybe I would also just uh, flippantly, you know, pick up a game like Assassin's Creed, which I would normally never buy, just to try it out, see how it looks, and uh, experience something that looks and feels a little more next gen. But yeah, I think that's a, a nice way to put it, is a, or a nice kind of alternative perspective is to just see this as an opportunity to get outside your comfort zone, maybe try some games you wouldn't normally play, all for the sake of, you know, trying to get some some uh, usage out of those new next-gen features on your new next-gen console. And then we got a few more comments about, you know, the Series X itself. Dead Captain James says, mine arrived today and my friend is driving up from Denver tomorrow to get it. So that's Dead Captain James just being a fucking champ saying, hey, I bought a Series X and I'm not even keeping it for myself. So look at you being a good guy. And then you said, you feel like the time in your life was a blip from Xbox One to Series X because time literally flies when you're an adult. I've been out of school longer than I was in school that shit blows my mind at, at this point. It really is true that time speeds up as you get older. That's in regards to my uh, my little rant last week about saying I can't even believe the Series X is here because I still think the Xbox One is like a brand new console. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. I think I think what Dead Captain James is really pointing out here is that I'm just kind of having an existential crisis live on my podcast in front of all of you guys. So I appreciate you listening to me as I do that. And then Jay says, despite my many attempts, I was unable to secure an Xbox Series X for launch, but have been informed by my local store that I should be receiving one in the second wave of shipments, which they said is possibly late November. I hope they're right. Jesse, due to your recommendation, I've put bright memory on my Xbox wish list. I would have bought it immediately. It's only $11.95 here in Australia, but it says it cannot be played on an Xbox One as it's optimized for the Series X and S. So like my new flashy and eagerly anticipated console, I'll have to wait until I can play bright memory. Does look pretty good though. Well, Jay, I appreciate you uh, willing to give this game a try on my recommendation. That's kind of frightening to think that someone would spend money based on something I said. So I, I, I hope the game, you know, lives up to your expectations or is at least uh, $12 worth, provides $12 worth of enjoyment for you so that you don't feel like I misled you. Hang in there, man. I'm really sorry that you weren't able to get your Series X. I, I truly, truly feel for all of you out there that uh that are kind of dealing with that bitterness right now of like, of like, I tried so hard to fucking get this console and it didn't work out and I wasn't able to secure one and now I'm just having to watch everyone else enjoy theirs while trying to be happy for them but also being a little you know, salty for myself inside. So at least that's how I would feel about it. So I definitely really feel for you guys and and hang in there for sure. You know, the only reason I have a series X is because my brother was, um, was able to secure me a pre-order. So I would have failed miserably because I was having the worst luck on that day in September trying to get my pre-order secured. So I, I, I should be there with you. I have a little bit of survivor's guilt of pre-order secures guilt, I guess you could say, but hang in there, man. So 
hopefully sooner than later you know you get that thing but yeah bright memory let me let me preface with this the game needs a little bit of an optimization patch definitely a little bit of screen tearing in the game when i played it it's only like a 40 minute demo okay so it's like it's like one level of what will be the final product which is bright memory infinite which is the game that they showed off during that that gameplay showcase so I think for here it was like eight bucks. I think it's totally worth the eight dollars um, because it's a great. It has amazing usage of ray tracing. The graphics look really good on most things. It's weird because like the character models and the weapon models look amazing, and then some of the enemy models look like just okay. But the weathering effects and the environment details look really really good. So for the most part, I think it's a great little forty minute like tech demo that shows off some of the visual fidelity of the Xbox Series X, but it isn't perfectly optimized. It definitely feels like a a kind of quick PC port, and there's definitely some optimization and performance hiccups, like like I said, screen tearing here and there. It didn't like hinder my ability to enjoy my 40 minutes with the game, but um, I, I, I still think, you know, you get it more as like a fun tech demo and less as like, you know, a serious, awesome game to play. So, I mean, like I said, I think I said this last week, but like bright memory, it is a it is an ideal little if you're looking for like a bite sized techie demo, something similar to like Astro's Playroom on PS5. I think bright memory is a pretty decent option. Uh, of course, you do have to pay for it, but like I said, it's it's cheap. It's like eight bucks here in the states. It's twelve bucks in Australia. So there you go. Maybe uh, maybe some of you other guys should give that a thought. Hope you enjoy it, Jay, whenever you are able to get around to playing it, which is hopefully very soon. Now, that's it for all of our Series X kind of commentary and initial uh, uh, comments and all that stuff. Let's let's go through some quick other comments before we get into the show's news. Um, so, Sarugi, on the topic of games as a service last week when we talked about the sales, this poor sales performance of Marvel's Avengers, Sarugi commented in a couple times and said, well, I can honestly see the Anthem reboot being or quietly dying in a corner. The messaging on the new Mass Effect game is ambiguous. A veteran team doesn't necessarily mean it's the team or anyone involved in the original trilogy, but it could mean, but that could just be my pessimism, my pessimism acting up again. Actually, you're right on that. It's probably just a couple of people, and then they're just really harping on that for marketing purposes, but you know, but you continue on. You say, I'm hugely into Marvel, specifically the MCU. I love that shit, but hands down, I've, I've not touched or had any interest in Marvel's Avengers. I'm a lifelong Final Fantasy fan, and I, along with my legion of fanboys from the origins of Final Fantasy VII, have been waiting over 20 years for this remake to finally release, so it wasn't really a surprise to see it do so damn well. Live service games developers need to realize that they have to actually push content out at regular intervals if they ever wish to hold gamers' attentions beyond reaching endgame within a week. And also not to put out a content-starved shell of a game uh, just to get it out the door. So I agree with pretty much all of that, especially those comments about the games-as-a-service thing. It's pretty obvious that with Marvel's Avengers, it was it was this thing of like, hey, we have this really good concept for an Avengers game, but we're going to shoehorn it into this games as a service thing because it's lucrative and it has legs and we can really, you know, work with that. But also, you know, where games like Anthem failed, games like Marvel's Avengers should be able to succeed because 
the name and the brand recognition alone should be able to sell it to everyone. And clearly that just wasn't the case. It seems like, you know, the bullshit meter was was easy to read on this and people saw that the quality just wasn't there. And I think this is really an interesting point to bring up because think about it like this. We've had Marvel games of varying degrees of quality for a very long time. I mean, literally all the way back to like the second Genesis and shit like that. So, but if you look at more recent history of Marvel games or like kind of like the modern era of like modern uh, Marvel video games, I think everyone's go-to example is like Spider-Man 2 uh, on PS2, Xbox, GameCube from 2004, you know, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, because that's kind of like the first open world Spider-Man game kind of set the standard for like modern superhero video games. And the thing is, like, yeah, that game did very, very well. But then there's also been a lot of Spider-Man games that haven't done as well, like the Amazing Spider-Man games or, like, those B-Nox, like, Spider-Man games that were a little more linear-based. And then, like, you think about, like, Iron Man. There was, like, an Iron Man 1 and 2 game on, I think that was on, no, Xbox 360, rather. And then there was, like, an Hulk Ultimate Destruction game on, on OG Xbox. There was... X-Men Origins Wolverine on in 2009 that was on uh, Xbox 360 that was really good actually made by Raven the people who made the new Call of Duty campaign so there's just like this varying degree I mean and of course you know I think the thing that really cemented like it, it seemed like Spider-Man 2 was like the apex of like great quality superhero video games and it seemed like that was unbeatable and then I think the Batman Arkham games kind of topped that in public perception in terms of like making a quality triple a you know superhero video game i think like batman arkham asylum is probably like two superhero video games what like i don't know what like x-men or spider-man or like iron man is to like superhero movies where it kind of made them like not campy goofy you know like write-off movies but rather like big blockbusters that people gave a shit about so when you think about that like there is a precedent for superhero games to do well or not well or, you know, to live or die by the quality of the game. And I think that's been apparent. And so when you look at games like Insomniac's Spider-Man from 2018, the PlayStation exclusive game, that game sold well, yeah, because Avengers and Spider-Man and all that shit was big at the time, you know, from all the movies. And yeah, because Spider-Man's a beloved character and Spider-Man games are pretty popular. But I think that game did well above all because it looked fucking awesome. Insomniac is a developer who knows their shit. It's a PlayStation exclusive, which, you know, has a lot of marketing cachet behind it. But above all of these aspects, I think the game genuinely looked awesome. And people saw that and recognized it. And that's why Spider-Man on PS4 performs so damn well. It's why Miles, it's it's exactly why Miles Morales right now on PS4 and PS5 is extreme is performing extremely well because people see the game, they watch the trailers, they watch the gameplay demos, and they, they can recognize that's a fucking high quality, awesome game right there. Marvel's Avengers totally missed that point where they they thought it seems like they thought, well, yeah, it's kind of a weird, like single player looking game. And I haven't played the game, but the way I look at it, it Avengers looks like a single player game or like a co-op game that they shoehorned into a games as a service game. Like it looks like there's a lot of good content there. Like there's a lot of good potential there, but they just like kind of made it into this genre that it really doesn't work as or really has no business being. And that kind of is, is the part that falls flat. So I think, you know, crystal dynamics and square Enix, we're looking at it like, it doesn't matter. It has the Marvel's, you know, logo on it. It has the Marvel IP attached to it. So clearly it's going to do really well like Insomniac's Spider-Man game did a few years ago. But what we're seeing here is 
the the difference in in the level of success wasn't just the IP, it was the quality of the game. And I think people saw those initial reveal trailers and gameplay demos of Marvel's Avengers and could tell something was up and that the game just didn't really look all that great. And so that's what we're we're seeing here. I think I think this game could have been extremely successful if they just focused on making a single player story driven Avengers game, you know, and gotten it out two years sooner. Cause remember this game was teased in like early 2017, I think it was. So like, we've known about this game for a long time. Like it was the, the marketing cycle for this game was like three years and it's just, they just spent so long developing this game and we finally got it. And it was just this overproduced over budget, you know, what the fuck is this genre doing with Marvel's Avengers kind of bloated cash grab, you know, kind of thing. It's like this IP plus this genre equals we get all your money. And clearly that's not the case because the market has spoken and said, Hey, like this game is not what we're looking for. Like this is not how we want to play as Iron Man and Hulk and Thor and everyone all together at once, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I will drop it there. Cause obviously this isn't the Marvel's Avengers podcast, but I uh, I just find that the story of that game, you know, selling really well initially, but then kind of falling off hard and now becoming, you know, performing so poorly that it's pulling down Square Enix's profits for the quarter, despite having, you know, such a powerful lineup of games this year and, and like Final Fantasy VII Remake. I just I think that's amazing. It's a it's a pretty big bomb if uh, if Marvel's Avengers is really pulling down, you know, uh, operating or the revenue for the uh, for the company by that much so whatever uh, and then just some uh, miscellaneous comments before we get into the news real quick they're just one-offs Seth says hey what's your favorite Gears game I just recently started playing them for the first time because I thought they looked stupid but so far they're actually great I've played the first two and the second one is my favorite 360 game I've ever played what are your thoughts well Seth I'm actually kind of like you I've I used to always think Gears was kind of a dumb franchise. I kind of played them a little bit on and off and never really got into them all too, all that much until, until 2017 when I finally played Gears 4 for the first time. Uh, and something just clicked. At that point, like, finally I was able to understand Gears. So I went back and replayed them all. And I definitely am a Coalition-era fan of Gears. I think 4 and 5 are the best, but I think they're all pretty good. I haven't played... Um, I didn't play that spin-off one, but like of of all the classic ones, they're they're all pretty good, but I'm I'm definitely a Gears 4 and 5 guy. I like 4 a lot just because there's a special connection with it being the one that got me into Gears of War finally, but I think 5's objectively a better game, but yeah, 4 and 5 are definitely my favorite Gears games, but I'm I'm pretty into the series overall now and I, yeah, I totally agree with that sentiment. Like it's just some something about it where for the longest time it just looked like a dumb game, but once you finally give it a try, and I guess once you're just in the right headspace for it, it you're finally able to let the game kind of sink its hooks into you and uh and, and speak to you in that way. So I'm glad you're enjoying the series. Um yeah, it seems like actually Gears 2 is probably I think that I'd say that's probably most people's favorite gears. I think that's in the Gears of War community, that seems to be the overwhelming popular choice. So I, I agree, Gears 2 is pretty good. That's a that's a pretty solid choice, but um, yeah, I think Gears 4 for me. Lethal Migraine says, what are you talking about? Xbox being sexist as part of uh, as part of the 10 seconds it took to set up my Series X. It automatically connected to my Amazon eco- 
uh, Amazon Echo speaker. Alexa controls my Xbox, Jesse. Well, Lethal Migraine, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Xbox is sexist because they removed Cortana. They removed Xbox's voice. Therefore, removing Xbox's agency, which means that Microsoft is being sexist by silencing Xbox. I don't give a shit if Alexa or Amazon, Amazon Alexa is a female voice or whatever. That is someone else speaking for Xbox. That is someone else who mediates between you, the user, and the Xbox itself, telling the Xbox what to do, but never giving it the chance to speak for itself. That is silencing. That is censorship. That is that is a gross abuse of agency. I think Microsoft needs to pay for this. Bring Cortana back to Xbox. Bring Connect back to Xbox. Lethal Migraine, if you're not with me, you're against me on this one, okay? And then you also say, dollar for dollar, Destiny is the worst game ever made. For the life of me, I don't understand why anyone likes it. Well, Lethal Migraine, I think that's just objectively your worst take ever. It's like it's just easily your worst take ever. Like, you know, famously, I think most people point to games like E.T. or Superman 64 as like the worst games ever made. Like, if you don't like Destiny, that's totally fine. You're entitled to your own preferences and opinion. But the reality of the situation is, I know Destiny has its issues with like the first game being like all over the place with like awful storytelling or just kind of being confusing and not really knowing what it is and being and having a hard time kind of conveying to the player what kind of game it is and how you're supposed to play it. I get that. But the moment-to-moment gameplay of Destiny is phenomenal. The shooting feels beyond amazing. The mechanics are amazing. The balancing is super cool um, with just like the different weapons and, and, and abilities and classes and everything. I think Destiny, like the art style is fucking stunning. To this day, I think Destiny is one of the best looking video games of all time. It's amazing. Like the art style, the graphics, literally everything about it is so goddamn phenomenal. You like objectively destiny is a polished well-designed and well-functioning game like you don't have to love what the game is you can think that the storytelling is confusing and that the way the world presents itself to the player is a little uh obtuse and confusing but there's no denying that the game is well made fun to play the mechanics are solid the art and graphics and visual style are stunning like destiny is very very it is a far cry no pun intended, from the worst game ever made. I just, I understand that feeling where like sometimes you feel disconnected from a game because it seems like everyone loves it except you and you feel like everyone's crazy because you just don't see what they see. But like, trust me on this, Destiny is not even close to the worst game ever made. Now, it's definitely not as good as Halo, but it's, it's, it's amazing. I think it's amazing in its own right. I love Destiny, whatever. I literally just got a Destiny t-shirt in the mail, so... Fuck you. I'm going to wear that. I'm going to wear that with a hate boner for you now, Lethal Migraine. But you're still you're still invited to my birthday party next year. Don't worry. All right. That's going to do it for all of our comments and shout outs and whatnot. Remember, if you want to write in, don't be shy. Reply. You can go over to YouTube.com. Uh, look up Second Best Gaming. That's my YouTube channel where you'll find the playlist for the Xbox on podcast. Just go to this week's um, episode. Drop a comment about anything you want to talk about. I'm a little disappointed that no one really wanted to talk about food this week. But, you know, we can make good on that, on that mistake by commenting this week. So tell me about some food, guys. And uh, just tell me literally anything you want to know. It can be about Xbox. It can be about a specific video game. Uh, it could literally be about your dog or your showering preferences. I don't care what it's about. Just write in. Uh, now we're going to talk about what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I have to tell you because it is imperative. I think 
the world is at stake here if I don't tell you what I've been eating. Guys, I want to give a shout out to the uh, Papa John's Papadia. For those of you who don't know, I don't, I don't know where Papa John's operates. I assume it's international. I'm fairly certain it, it operates in the UK and in Australia at the very least and in South America. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a pretty international brand. Fuck off. But Papa John's Pizza, the Papa John's Pizza chain, the chain that makes pizza, the controversial, possibly racist Papa John's brand, they have this new menu item called the Papadia, which I'm a little upset about because it's supposed to be like a play on like a pizza and a quesadilla, but to me, it comes off a lot more as like like a calzone kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I don't get quesadilla out of it, but whatever. It's basically like their pizza dough folded up in this like calzone quesadilla looking fucking thing. And they put a bunch of toppings in it. So you can get a more traditional pizza one, like with pepperoni and cheese and sauce, like a, like a calzone, or you can go nuts with it and get like, like fucking Philly cheesesteak papadilla. It's like their crust folded up like a calzone and they got like onions and cheese and peppers and steak and everything in there. Um, and you can kind of customize them and put your own sauce. You could do like a barbecue chicken one if you were feeling spicy. Um, so it's it's a very versatile menu item. And it's a new thing they're doing. It's a thing they've been doing for a little while, actually, maybe maybe about a year now. But I've had this a couple of times. And this past week, I got it. My my girlfriend and I had a day. We were a little a little tired, a little despondent. It was a my last day of my stay at home vacation to celebrate the Xbox Series X. And I said, "Fuck it, let's get some Papa John's pizza." So we ordered some pizza. Uh, I said online, please leave it at the door. Don't knock on the door. Just leave the box at the fucking door because there's a pandemic. And then when I checked out, it said, do you have any special instructions? And I said, oh, yeah, please just drop the fucking box of pizza at the door. There's a pandemic. I don't need someone to knock on the door and hand me it. I don't care if you leave it on the doorstep and a bunch of cockroaches get to it. Just fucking leave the box at the door. And then soon enough, I got a knock on the door. The pizza was there. I go outside expecting to see the pizza on the on the floor sitting there waiting for me to pick it up. But there's a fucking pizza man without a mask on just handing it to me. And I'm like, fuck you. But it was all worth it. It was all worth it in the end because I got the papadilla. We secured the package and it was delicious. I got the Philly cheesesteak this time. But I like to customize them. One time I got one with just like chicken, spinach, and uh, Alfredo sauce, I think, in it. And onions or something. That one was phenomenal. You can get a more traditional one. I think right now they have a double cheeseburger papadilla. So if you want to fucking mix Italian food, American burgers, and and fucking and uh, and fucking Tex-Mex quesadilla shit all together in one food item that is guaranteed to give you the uh, uh, cancer or heart disease or heart failure or whatever, then this is the item for you. I think it's a great price too. They start at six bucks, six dollars for papadilla. Are you fucking kidding me? In this economy. So worth it, guys. I, I, I highly, highly recommend the Papadia. If you're if you're a fan of the Papa John's or if you are in the camp of I just haven't had Papa John's in a very long time, I think now is the time to vote with your wallet and say, yes, we do want the Papadia to be a mainstay on the menu. Don't be like Taco Bell. Don't put it on the menu and then take it away two months later. Just leave it there. It's good. We want it. It can stay. So now with that with that said, with that precedent having been set, I can tell you all about what I've been playing, which this week, as as you may have guessed, as based on what I've said earlier in the show, I've been playing some Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. This game, I'm so mixed on this game. So on one end, I want to say Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War is the best Call of Duty since 2010's Call of Duty Black Ops, like the classic 2010 Black Ops game. 
But on the other end, I want to say this game is just as disappointing and just as much of a letdown as every Call of Duty has been since 2010's Call of Duty Black Ops. So for context, since this show is all about rambling, um, I would like to say I'm a, I'm part of like I'm part of the classic Call of Duty generation. And you might say, well, the classic generation are like Call of Duty's one, two, and three. No, fuck off. Those games don't count. That's like saying Far Cry 1 counts as a Far Cry game. Fuck off. We all know Call of Duty starts in 2007 with Call of Duty Modern Warfare. That's what made Call of Duty what it is. Not the original kind of original envisioning of what the franchise would be before they took a massive departure from that. Original Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1, 2007. That's the game that set the wheels in motion and made Call of Duty the biggest thing since sliced bread. And I'm part of that era where Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1, 2, World at War, Black Ops 1, those are the four ultimate Call of Duty games. They're god-tier Call of Duty games because there's something about those games where, like, all four of them are kind of like, are kind of like, um, I, I think, like, all four of those Call of Duty games are, like, trip like super triple a massive mega games it's like if you had a if you had a halo game coming out every year or if you had like a elder scrolls coming out every year that's what call of duty felt like back then it didn't feel like this over milked oversaturated tired over like run annualized franchise it felt like this really special awesome thing that came out every year and without a doubt was awesome every time and so you know obviously modern warfare took the world by storm when it came out and then World at War, my personal favorite of the bunch, I think builds off everything Modern Warfare does and does it way better. While its campaign story wasn't as good, I thought its campaign levels were phenomenal. I thought the fact that it had co-op campaign with scoring and paintball mode was awesome. Uh, the zombies on, on World at War were by far the best zombies ever done, period. Still to this day, amazing. Some of the best video gaming ever were those classic zombies maps. And then the and then the multiplayer to me is just the best. Like the maps, the guns, the balancing, everything on World at War. My absolute favorite Call of Duty multiplayer experience permanently for the rest of forever. Can't change my mind. Steven Crowder, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then Modern Warfare 2, I think, is campaign-wise. Actually, I, th I think Modern Warfare 2, I think that's where like it matures the formula and kind of gets it just like finally gets it like a hundred percent fine-tuned and perfect, perfected rather. Um uh, Modern Warfare 2 to me, like especially the multiplayer, will always stand out as just being so refined and so perfect. And I love Modern Warfare 2. And then Black Ops to me, Black Ops is weird. It's kind of like the black sheep of, of the franchise to me because it's like I include it in the list of Call of Duties I love, but it's technically a little weaker than the previous three. I think the first two Modern Warfares plus World at War are better than Black Ops, but Black Ops is still really great, no doubt. The campaign is really fucking awesome. Um, the menus in that game were amazing. The secrets in that game were amazing. The twists, all that stuff was amazing. The multiplayer was very, very good with great maps, great weapons, but it had some balancing issues, which is always my gripe with Black Ops. Um, but other than that, I loved the multiplayer for the most part. That's where they introduced gun game. And then the zombies in Black Ops, I'm conflicted. They're not as good as World at War zombies, but now that we've had so many worse zombie games since Black Ops 1 came out, I've kind of gone back and really... Uh, earned a lot more respect and admiration for for Black Ops zombies because I think Black Ops had pretty great zombie maps for the most part. I, I'm not crazy about like the moon one, 
but like the Call of the Dead one with like the George Romero like director one that like call back to all the old horror movies. That was a fucking awesome map. Um, Kino Derto in the original map on the game. That's a pretty good one. Um, like it, ha- it has some really awesome maps. So Black Ops overall, pretty great package. But after that, Call of Duty just falls off a fucking cliff for me. Like Modern Warfare 3 was the first time I skipped a Call of Duty. I just didn't give a shit about it. And I know a lot of people like that one, but oh well. Black Ops 2 I bought reluctantly. And I think the campaign on that game is shit. The zombies are beyond shit. They just, they completely fucking ruin zombies on Black Ops 2. That game sucks for zombies. If anyone wants to defend that game for zombies, you can go to hell. They molested zombies. The transit zombies, the running around getting chased by the fucking magic school bus zombies, that's not Call of Duty zombies. That is a molestation of our childhood, of our youth, of our nostalgia, of our innocence. That cannot be accepted. Uh, the multiplayer on Black Ops 2 was actually pretty great. I'll, I'll give it that. Black Ops 2 had some really good multiplayer. That's the only thing. I hated the campaign the zombies like the multiplayer, which which sucks because my favorite part of any Call of Duty is the zombies in the campaign. Um, but yeah, then like after that, like it just went you know down the shitter. You know, Infinity Ward couldn't figure out a good Call of Duty for a long time. Treyarch just kept harping on Black Ops, but all these new games they were making weren't really Black Ops. It was just that name, but whatever the fuck game they wanted to make. And Sledgehammer started making Call of Duty games, and they were varying degrees of okay. I actually thought Advanced Warfare was better than most of what Treyarch and Infinity Ward were putting out around the time. It was just that, especially that like early to mid generation of xbox one i feel like call of duty was just such a it became this thing of like real gamers hated call of duty and call of duty was like for call of duty gamers and no one else you know and that's kind of where call of duty is today where it just seems like it's this thing where it's like it's kind of not cool to admit you like call of duty because it takes away your gamer card a little bit but fuck it i mean like there's no denying call of duty has a winning formula the game looks and plays great it's well balanced and there's a reason why people love it It's it's a great formula it's a great feel it's 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 a fun game but it's uh definitely lost a lot of its its luster and it's kind of um i don't know call of duty used to be like a, a trailblazer like an industry standard and now it just feels like this thing that we get every year and it just it it's uh it's kind of run-of-the-mill compared to some of the other things it feels like the games industry has matured past the things that call of duty introduced to it i think is is probably a good way to put it um yeah, but last year when when man, I'm rambling way too much. But last year when Modern Warfare 2019 came out, that was the first time in a long time I was like, you know what? I think I'm actually excited about Call of Duty again. And when that game came out, I bought it and I was super impressed with the campaign and I was pretty impressed with the multiplayer when it came out. But the thing is, in the year since that game came out, its multiplayer has turned to shit. The multiplayer is so bad. There's so many imbalances, so many awful guns. The maps are way over-designed to where it's just like invites campers and snipers everywhere and you can't fucking play the game to save your fucking life. And then, of course, Warzone became the big focus when Warzone came out. And I hate Warzone. I, like, I try not to be, like, old man, like, shitting on everything the young kids like, but, like, I, I don't hate Battle Royale modes. I don't even hate Fortnite, but I hate Warzone. Like, I'd rather play Fortnite than Warzone. I think Warzone is so bad. It feels like shit. It looks like shit. It's just not fun at all. I even think Blackout from Call of Duty Black Ops 4 was more fun than than Warzone. I really fucking hate Warzone. And that's the problem with Black Ops Cold War. So now we can finally talk about what I've actually been playing because I'm done ranting about the past. Black Ops Cold War's biggest issue, in my opinion, is that 
it runs off that Modern Warfare 2019 Warzone engine, and it has that look and feel of Warzone. So because Warzone's this big success, and they're trying to modernize and standardize Call of Duty with this new engine and all that stuff, we're in this situation now where it's like, Treyarch games feel a little bit less like Treyarch games and Infinity Ward games feel a little less like Infinity Ward because they're trying to blur the lines and have the studios work together a little more to make everything one cohesive Call of Duty experience. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Black Ops Cold War definitely feels more like a Treyarch game than Infinity Ward's Modern Warfare did last year. So there's still a difference, but the game... Just everything from like the way you pick up guns to the menus to the mod system to the loadout system, everything just feels a little too much like Modern Warfare 2019 and a little too much like Warzone, and that's what fucking drives me nuts. The Zombies map this time around is actually a pretty cool looking map. It brings back the very first map from the very first uh, Zombies game from World at War in this new map and then more like it's a massive map that has the old map in it plus other content and it's a pretty cool map but the problem is it introduces all this armor system and menu system and loadout system bullshit from multiplayer and warzone and it waters down zombies to make it look like fucking multiplayer mode like it doesn't feel like zombies anymore it just feels like a multiplayer mode and that's like a massive miss again zombies is the best part of call of duty so if you fuck up zombies the whole game's fucking ruined so I'm having kind of fun with the zombies map. I, again, I think the map looks cool. Like it's a cool design and I'm having fun learning it and exploring it, but I hate that you can make multiplayer loadouts for it and that like, it's kind of overly easy and it's got the war zone look and feel to it. So it's missing a lot of that aesthetic and charm that, that zombies normally has like zombies always feels like zombies. It doesn't feel like call of duty, but in black ops, cold war zombies feels like multiplayer and it's just really disappointing. So that's, that's really driving me nuts with the game. Um, the campaign itself, uh, I, actually we'll do the campaign last. The multiplayer is my favorite part of the game. I think the multiplayer is really good. This is by far my favorite multiplayer in Call of Duty since Black Ops 1, which is why I said this is my favorite Call of Duty since Black Ops 1, because multiplayer, while not my favorite aspect of Call of Duty, is the part is the component that has the most longevity. And I think they really nailed the maps for one. The maps are phenomenal. The maps feel like classic like Black Ops era maps where it's like simple three lane maps that have enough like texture and detail going over them with like different vantage points and little hideout places that it feels like they're varied and in and, and kind of interesting while not being overly designed and overly complicated like they were in modern warfare. Um, and it also, but they're also like relatively simple to understand. So I'm like a traditional player. I like to just stick to assault rifles and like fucking grenades and shit and like run around and shoot people. Cause that's what I think is fun. But call of duty players, I guess have shepherded the franchise into this little corral of like being a stupid fucking game where everyone finds the imbalanced sniper rifle and just molests the shit out of that gun and spams the crap out of it. So this game still has that problem to an extent, like most modern Call of Duty's have, where it's like, I want to play the game for fun. You know, I want to go out there, play the objective. I want to play Domination. I want to play Hardpoint. I want to play Kill Confirmed and, like, focus on the objective and play as a team. But everyone else in the map wants to play Call of Duty like it's a solo thing. So they want to get their blunt and smoke their weed and drink their Mountain Dew Baja Blast and listen to Kid Cudi and be all cool and sit in the corner and be like, hey, uh, this map has a little fucking hole here where you can sit and peek through the window and snipe everyone from halfway across the fucking map. Let me just do that so my KDR is 47 and 0 because I'm so fucking cool. I'm so fucking lit. It's like 85 degrees outside, but I'm wearing a fucking.
fucking hoodie in the house with the AC turned off because I hate myself and I, and I'm listening to, I'm making a story on Instagram right now and I'm in, it's, it's the call of duty guy. You know, it's, I'm going to get my lifted pickup truck after this and stop by Taco Bell because I got the munchies from playing so much call of duty and these fuckers just sit in this little corner. Like you, if you can tell by the way I'm saying this, like I, I rage a little bit when I play Call of Duty. I usually don't let games get to me this much, but Call of Duty makes me want to fucking rage because it's a good game that cannot be enjoyed because it has an awful player base. I think that's Call of Duty's biggest problem more than anything. It's it's not that Call of Duty games aren't good. It's that Call of Duty is a good franchise with awful players. It's kind of like the city I live in, where like I live in a city that's with like awesome things to do and awesome places to go see and enjoy, and really awful citizens that don't appreciate the city they live in. That's it's kind of like what Call of Duty is. It's like I can't enjoy the game because the players won't fucking let me. Because I'm just trying to like run around and shoot people and play team deathmatch, and you guys are just hiding in the fucking corner with your goddamn cog scope just popping in and no scope in my ass when I'm just trying to run to objective B. Listen, if blue team has all three points completely dominated, we need to push and capture some of those points back. Stop fucking spreading out and squatting and camping and prone shotting all the noobs on the other team and fucking like get out there and play the objective. It, it's mind blowing. It, it hurts my fucking face to think about it. And that's, that's just a complaint about call of duty overall. And as much as it sounds like that's an issue for me in this game, it's actually more an issue for me in other Call of Duty. So I feel like this Call of Duty has it better than most recent entries, but it's still an issue. But with that being said, I like the guns for the most part. I'm really liking the machine guns, the the assault rifles. I'm really liking the whole you can do a shotgun and an assault rifle together, which I fucking love so much without it being having to be a perk. Um, I'm really loving the game modes and the maps and everything. So overall, I think the multiplayer is a big win. I'm just, I'm not like I was when I was 15. I'm not good at call of duty anymore. Okay. I want to casually drop in and play the fucking game without getting destroyed by a bunch of fucking 16 year olds. Okay. But I I can't, I can't do it anymore because you guys are just so patient. You love sitting there and just camping behind a fucking brick wall all day, waiting for me to impatiently run out and try to play the objective. So Whatever. Multiplayer, really, really good. Um, I think the biggest complaint is some imbalance with the weapons and some imbalance with the player base sucking dick. And then the campaign itself is is the last one. The campaign itself is so conflicting because the opening to the campaign is really awesome. And the last like four or five missions of the campaign are phenomenal. Like the campaign is really good. If you're just looking at it from the perspective of like, is it fun to play and interesting? Yes, it excels. The campaign is really good. I'm really proud with what Raven pulled off with this campaign. But my gripe with the campaign is they try to shoehorn that like, make a character, give them an identity, have player agency, choose choose your path. There's multiple endings. What do you want to do? And the reason why I hate that is because one, in the context of the story, it doesn't work at all. You could just play as Mason like you did in the first Black Ops and it would have made just as much sense. They could have made it about literally any other character and would have been just as good, probably better, because now you have this like skeleton like shell of a character you build that doesn't really have any like agency or I don't know con- contribution to the the cutscenes and the story and the characters, but they want you to feel like they do, and it, it just it it falls flat completely for me, um, and it makes the ending a little abrupt and impromptu. So I'm not crazy about that aspect. I wish they had just stuck with like one linear narrative. 
Because if they did that with like, a, they made a specific character, made you play a specific character and gave you one track for the campaign, I would have loved it way more because you could have kept all the same twists and turns and surprises that the campaign has and it still would have made sense. It would have made more sense, in fact. Um, so it, it's weird. It's like, I mean, it's a Call of Duty. It's like a dumb action movie anyway. Like that's the campaign. But I think the high points are super fucking high in the campaign and the low points are pretty like mediocre. So overall, like I, I would say the campaign is 100% worth playing if you're going to buy the game. Like definitely play the campaign, but just understand that there's going to be some highs and lows and that the character creation, choose your own path kind of bullshit ends up being more of a gimmick than like an actual interesting aspect of the story. Um, but aside from that, the other characters and the main story plots and the twists and turns in the in the subversion of expectations really ends up paying off and being really interesting in my opinion. So the, the campaign overall, I think it's a pretty big thumbs up from a, from a Call of Duty perspective. Can't, uh, multiplayer, pretty damn good with the exception of some awful players. And then the zombies is like middle of the road. Cool map, cool weapons, cool concepts, annoying multiplayer war zone feeling with stupid loadouts and shit like that. So overall, I think Black Ops Cold War really is the best Call of Duty in a very long time. But with that being said, it's it, it doesn't hit that like God tier of like Modern Warfare 2, World at War era Call of Duty. So if, if you're like a lapsed Call of Duty, I feel, I feel kind of weird because I feel like last year I was kind of singing the praises on Call of Duty and then I walked back my feelings about Modern Warfare after the game matured and its player base turned to shit. Um, but for now, this is how I feel about Black Ops. Maybe Black Ops Cold War will end up like Modern Warfare 2019 and here will be in a few months when the player base is really matured and really, you know, really learned all the maps inside out and mastered them. And then it will be completely fucking unplayable. Like how I feel modern warfare is at this point. So could change, but for now the game gets a pretty big thumbs up from me. It sounds like I'm a little negative on it, but I, I mean this when I say it, like it's, it's really actually a pretty great game. Definitely should be 60 bucks. The $70 thing is bullshit. All right, guys, we're now in 10 minutes and holy fuck. All right, let's jump into the news guys. I'm sorry. I didn't expect to ramble that much in the beginning. It's, it's kind of a slower news week, but we'll, we got some interesting stories. So let's jump right in. All right, our first story comes from Xbox Wired directly, uh, where Microsoft have come out to celebrate the success of their of the console launches for the Xbox Series X and S by relaying that the new next-gen consoles have made up the biggest launch for the console brand in history. The following was posted by Liz Harmon, Communications VP of Gaming Experiences and Platforms at Xbox via the Xbox Wire, which says... Thanks to you, the launch of the Xbox Series X and S is now the most successful debut in our history. While we missed the emotional spark of being together with you in person, it was incredible to celebrate the new generation of gaming with the millions on our celebration live stream and everyone who participated in our global launch across 40 countries. Your support and what you accomplished in the first 24 hours of launch inspire us to demonstrate the connective power of play and how it is more important than ever. More new consoles, and then they put some bullets. They say bullet points. They say... More new consoles uh, sold than any prior generation, with the Xbox Series S uh, adding the highest percentage of new players for Xbox consoles at launch. More games played, uh, 3,594 in total, spanning four generations, setting a record for the most games ever played during an Xbox console launch. And then lastly, next-gen games... Uh, Next gen means more ways to discover and play with 70% of Series X and S consoles uh, being attached to new and existing Xbox Game Pass members, which is pretty impressive, but also to be expected since the launch is mostly going to appeal to your hardcore users and obviously your hardcore users are going to have Game Pass. 
So it is extremely important to note here, though, uh, that Microsoft's previous console generation, the Xbox One, was released in 13 countries on its launch day of November 22nd, 2013, whereas the Xbox Series S and X launched in 36 or 40 markets, depending on which source from Microsoft you want to use, 36 markets, ostensibly making it a uh, the direct comparison between console generations incompatible because obviously 36 or 40 markets is a whole lot more than 13. So obviously it's going to be the most successful launch for the console brand. So yeah, I think that last part that is kind of the qualifier that's like, well, okay, this is just Microsoft doing more of those vague kind of statistics and in, in like uh, stat, you know, there's like stats that they kind of do whenever they release a new hard piece of hardware or console or um, video game now where they're just like, oh, wow, the new Gears of War was the most successful Gears of War ever made in that we had over 8 trillion megabits of, of downloads worth of game downloading for this game. Or like we had over 8 billion character creations on multiplayer uh, by gamer tags with last names beginning through with letters A through F. It's just like, what the fuck? Like, they just come up with all these, like, arbitrary units of measurement to basically say, yeah, 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 we're not selling as well as PlayStation, but we're doing pretty good, thanks. You know? Um, so that's how I read this immediately. Like, I would expect Series X and S to be the most successful launch for the console for a couple reasons. One, because Xbox is a more mature brand now, so it should have a bigger impact and reach in its markets. Okay. Two, because it's a pandemic and we've seen gaming do so incredibly well during this pandemic that it would be ridiculous to think that the new consoles wouldn't also sell like crack um, at launch because of, you know, the same reason why everything else has been selling well these past eight months or whatever it's been. Um, and then three, it's like you're launching in a billion fucking markets. Of course, you're going to do well. Or, of course, you're going to have a more successful launch when you are able to, you know, control the marketing, have a recovery from your last generation, which was rough, and then launch it in a lot more countries. So it's fully expected that these new consoles are going to do better. Oh, and point four, Xbox Series X is launching at $300 in 2020, okay? Xbox One launched at $500 in 2013. So with inflation, the Xbox Series S is such an amazing value for a next-gen console that it makes it so marketable and appealing for people, and that's why they say here that the Series S... They, they say the Series S has the highest percentage of new players for any Xbox console at launch, which I, I'm guessing means S sold better than X, which I'm confused about because I thought they had a lot more Xs being manufactured than Ss, so I'm, I'm not sure exactly what to make of that, but I think that means S sold better at launch, which I, I assume will be true long-run anyway, but I kind of expected X to do better at, at first and then S to you know, in the long run or in lifetime sales surpass it. So that's a little surprising to me. But nonetheless, I mean, obviously the console launch was pretty successful. I'm sure it's doing very well. I'm sure it's not doing as well as PS5. And I'm sure, well, actually, that's not true. I'm sure Xbox Series X and S and PS5 are equally doing amazing right now because at the beginning of any console generation, what happens is the first few months, both companies sell out every unit they can produce. So it doesn't really matter, you know? I'm pretty sure that, you know, at least until January or February, every Xbox Series S, X, and PS5 digital and physical, whatever, will fly off the shelves the second they get stocked at retailers. So it's going to be a while before we really start seeing how much better. And I think PS5 is going to really outsell Xbox again this generation. But I think it's going to be at least four to six months before we start to see 
how much better PlayStation is doing than Xbox at the start. Because for now, it's just, you know, the demand can't keep up. The supply can't keep up with the demand, so both of them are going to sell like crack for a little while. Um, I, you saw some reports talking about maybe it not being super easy to find these in stores until like maybe like April or whatever. I, I don't know, man. I'll say this: when the Xbox One came out, it was it took until about January. Feb- it came out in November. It came out in November. I'd say it took until about February to start being able to find it a little more regularly in in store. And with PS4, I felt like it was about the same thing in February, maybe a little closer to March or April with PS4 until until you started to find those in store. So if Microsoft can can extend out that length of time where they just can't keep up with the demand, that will be very good for them or a very good early indicator rather that Xbox Series X is a more successful console and that people are more hungry for Xbox now in 2020, 2021 than they were in 2013, 2014. So hopefully that's the case, but I mean, you can't really tell now based on first week sales. So yes, it's good that the console is doing well. Obviously we expected that, especially at launch. I'm happy for Microsoft. Congrats to the team at Xbox for getting this console, these consoles out the door. This is an incredible achievement and feat. Um, but yeah, it's just at this point, it's way too soon and way too impossible to really extract any true and interesting data to to divulge about, you know, how the console's performing. So we'll keep an eye on this. Um, I'm sure Microsoft will continue to be really cagey about these numbers unless for whatever reason, Xbox Series S and X start like vastly outselling PS5. Unless that's the case, we're not going to get you know, straightforward, concrete numbers. We're just going to keep getting statistics. Like Xbox Series X was the most popular Xbox sold in the color black that's shaped like a PC tower uh, to sell games that are Xbox Series X compatible in the months of November through February with Xbox being connected to the internet at the same time as the controller having batteries. And it's like, what what are you fucking talking? You're just saying facts about the console. You just you're basically just explaining what the console is and the fact that someone bought it. That's all you're saying. You know, it's like, well, shut up. Anyway, from IGN, Xbox's plans for its big Bethesda acquisition are starting to take shape as the company reveals that as far as the cross platform is concerned, Bethesda games will be either first or better or best on Xbox consoles when they are released. Microsoft continues to field questions about the future of Bethesda and Bethesda games on other platforms after its blockbuster acquisition of ZeniMax. Xbox CFO Tim Stewart spoke at the uh, Jeffries Interactive Entertainment virtual conference last week and gave more details about the company's plans for Bethesda and ZeniMax games with including sorry and cross-platform. Saying quote, "What we'll do in the long run is we don't have intentions of just pulling all of the Bethesda content out of Sony or Nintendo or otherwise, Stewart says. But what we want is uh, we want the content in the long run to be either first or better or best or pick your differentiated uh, experiences on our platforms. We will want Bethesda content to show up uh, the best as on our platforms. Stewart was clear that his statements aren't meant to announce pulling content from other platforms, but says that the audience will see Xbox continue uh Continue to uh, continue to see a shift towards a first or better or best approach on our platforms. He also mentions that the strategy will help Xbox's prize Game Pass program going forward. If you, he says, "quote If you think about something like Game Pass, if it shows up best uh, in Game Pass, that's what we want to see, and we want to drive our Game Pass subscriber base through that Bethesda pipeline." Stewart adds. 
So before we say anything else about this story, I just want to say something, okay? To every single one of you who ever commented saying, Jesse, you're crazy. Bethesda games are going to be exclusive to Xbox. They're not coming to PlayStation 5 anymore. They wouldn't have spent this much money to get these games not on Xbox exclusively. I just want to say, listen, I'm not one to gloat or rub it in your face or try to say I was wrong and you were right and make you feel bad. I'm not one to be like that. So I'm going to be real modest about this, okay? I just want to say this. Fuck every single one of you for doubting me. I was right. I got a big dick. I am awesome. I got all the frozen pizza. You, everyone who doubted me now has to, I will send you a P.O. box. You now have to mail me a goddamn California pizza kitchen frozen Sicilian pizza with a 12 pack of Mountain Dew Code Red because I was right and you're fucking dumbass. Every single one of you, give me your names, give me your social security numbers. I want to send individual personalized messages to your extended family to let them know what an asshole and what a fucking idiot each and every one of you are. I was right. You were wrong. Again, I mean, obviously, so all joking aside, clearly this is them saying nothing's official yet, but these games are going to be on PS5. I'm telling you, Elder Scrolls 6, Starfield, uh, Fallout, whatever the next one is, all of these games are going to be on PlayStation 5. Some of these games are even going to be on Switch. These games are going to show up in competitor places. Again, they're going to do things to make it Xbox specific. They're going to say, sure, you can fucking spend $70 on Starfield if you fucking hate yourself because you have a PlayStation 5, or you could just play it for free on Game Pass, and that's going to be a big a big allure. And yeah, maybe they'll do things specific, like uh, Xbox, you know, this, this DLC comes to Xbox first, or on Xbox, you get skins that make all the characters look like Master Chief with a Bob's Burgers mustache on it or some shit like that. And then on PlayStation, you just get a fucking middle finger in the corner of the screen the whole time that kind of blocks your map. So you can't really navigate the the world all that much, but you can play the game if you want to. You just got to deal with that really offensive middle finger kind of flipping you off the whole time you play. Like, that's a possibility, but the game's still coming to PlayStation, man. I'm telling you. Maybe not all. Maybe there will be games like, uh, hey, new franchise, this is Xbox exclusive. But I'm telling you, man, these big tentpole franchises, they're going multi-platform or they're staying multi-platform. They're just going to get perks and benefits because Team Xbox. I'm telling you, man, I was right. Uh, it It just feels good to know that when everyone was telling me I was wrong, I stuck to my guns and I said, hey, this is embarrassing today. But tomorrow it's going to pay off because you know what you believe and you don't need to listen to any of these fools. So I just want to humbly say, suck my dick. You know, I don't know what else to say to this. I mean, they're clearly coming out and saying it. You know, Xbox is going to get the best experience, but these games are still going to be multi-platform. Again, they want to make that money back. It's a big asshole move if they take these games away from existing players on other platforms. And it's a great way to make your money back if you just fucking put the game on every console. Now, again, this is not 100%, you know, set in stone. The acquisition still hasn't even technically gone through 100% yet. The deal is not completed yet. Nothing has been officially announced. So, yes, there's still the possibility that something changes in the last minute and they go, no, all these games are platform exclusive to Xbox and PC. Fuck you, PlayStation gamers. It's possible, but until that point... I think it's time for all you guys to put some lotion on your tongues and and pull my pants down and suck my suck my my one X, my Series X, my my Xbox unit. Fucking goons. All right, I mean I don't I don't know what else to say to that. I mean I think this is a big 
all, all joking aside, I think this is a massive blow um, optically to the Xbox brand because, again, we know how it is. We know players really want Team Xbox to have the exclusives to tell Sony to fuck off. But, again, it's just it's too much of an optically bad move if, if it's like Xbox buys these studios so they can take them away from place so they can take games away from PlayStation. That's not how you want to do that. You want your exclusive games to be your 343 games and your initiative games and your coalition games because these are the games from your organic studios that you you built from the ground up for your franchises. These are not, you know, things you took from other platforms. So I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, daddy's right. Listen, I have an Xbox podcast. Would I be wrong? They don't just let anyone have an Xbox podcast, you know. I had to work for this thing. I had to I had to put in a permit. A, a, I had to get the FCC to approve this podcast. You think they just give that kind of privilege to anyone? No. I am a somebody. I know shit. So listen to me. Next time I say something that sounds like it might not be right, just assume I'm right because this. All right. Can't wait to hear your comments on that because I'm sure someone's still going to fight me or, or tell me I was a dick, but that's okay. I probably am. All right, next story, guys. A big Halo Infinite community update is in the works, but there are currently no plans for the game to be at the Video Game Awards, 343 Industries confirmed. In a weekly discussion thread on Halo's subreddit, 343 Industries community director Brian Jared stopped to share the plans uh, for a community update that uh, that's in the works but not in time for the VGAs, the Video Game Awards that takes place in December. It says, uh, quote on on uh, Reddit, quote, full disclosure, we don't have anything planned for the Video Game Awards, uh, but are hoping for to offer at least a high-level update, high-level update within the next few weeks so we can kind of restart the journey together after the holidays, Jared writes. He says, putting together something like a demo or a big uh, or a big beat for the VGAs is an enormous amount of work and would cause challenges uh, with the current milestone of the holidays. Um, Jared adds, presently, presently, Jared says 343 is still, quote, going through a huge cascade of implications and ramifications uh, that appeared after the studio announced it will delay Halo Infinite to 2021. The Master Chief ad- Adventure was supposed to be a launch title, of course, for the Xbox Series X, but the developer felt it required more time to get it right. Of particular note is uh, Jared's use of the word restart to describe the official press around Halo Infinite. After the tepid gameplay demo revealed, 343 has taken Infinite back to development and hired Halo series veteran like uh, uh, Joseph Staten to bring the title back on track. So, I mean, first of all, what this says to me is that this game really is delayed for like a full year. I really think, I really think Halo Infinite is like at earliest, like a September 2021 game. I don't think it's going to be a lot of people saying it's a spring game. I really don't think it's a spring game. And and a lot of that, I mean, aside from me already having that just off of intuition, is is what Jared's saying here, which is which is again, restart the marketing and the the kind of the kind of way they're showing off and demoing and talking about this game leading up to its release. Like for them to kind of reboot so Halo Infinite is already kind of like a soft reboot of the franchise after Halo 5, and now they are soft rebooting the marketing campaign leading up to the game that's a soft reboot to the franchise so just keep that in mind 343 is so is so fucking terrified of letting down fans and pissing everyone off with halo that now they're not only soft rebooting the franchise but they're soft rebooting the marketing campaign that's some next level like cucking out to your audience kind of shit to do but i I get it this is this isn't just i'm being a little too harsh on 343 because this is not 100 percent 343 trying to please fans i think a lot of this is 
Xbox and Microsoft higher ups breathing down 343's neck saying, guys, this is our number one franchise. We cannot fuck it up. Like it has, we have to bring it back. This has to be the Zelda Breath of the Wild for Halo. I'm telling you now, it's not going to be. It's just not. I'm telling you right now. I, at this point, I am like fully like 100% on board, like not on board, but like of the belief that Halo fans are impossible to please and people are so out to just hate and shit on Xbox no matter what that I don't think this game can do anything to 100% get people to like just jizz their pants over Halo Infinite the way people just blindly wanted to jizz their pants when Mario Odyssey or Zelda Breath of the Wild came out. So I I know like obviously Microsoft or Spencer or 343 haven't come out and said this, but you can just tell the expectation and the direction they're going for here is that Halo Infinite is Halo's Zelda Breath of the Wild. I'm telling you now that's not going to be the case, but nonetheless, 343 is still going for that. So, I mean, here's hoping. I, I think it's going to be a great game no matter what. So, I'm I'm just excited for whenever I get to play it. But I'm telling you, man, this this tells me that the game is is a long ways out. It's like a full year delay that we got on this game. They're They're really trying to... I think the next time you see a gameplay demo of this game, it is going to look night and day different from what we saw in July. I'm telling you that they are going hardcore over the art and the graphics for this game right now. I'm just, I'm just telling you that. Um, as for what the tease is, I don't fucking know. Clearly, they can't go too big, so I assume it's going to be some big like Halo Waypoint blog post where they're going to announce details, like details to put people's mind at ease about specific features of multiplayer and things like that. Um, but I don't think they're going to be able to share a bunch of gameplay because, like they said, you know, making those vertical slices, making those demos for like E3 and Game Awards and shit like that, that stuff takes a lot of time, and I think a lot of people don't really get that, like. It, to, to get a specific build of a game and then get this vertical slice and this gameplay demo to show off specific footage to try and market the game takes a lot of work at the studio and we're already behind schedule on this game so much that it doesn't make sense to do that right now. We need to get all hands on deck on actually getting the actual fucking game ready to go rather than just trying to show off another gameplay demo when the game is clearly still like a year out. So I think that's also an indicator of why it's not ready. If it were closer to launch, they might be able to get, it might be easier to get a gameplay demo going, but I don't think the game is that close to launch. I really think you got another, you got another like 10, 10 to 12 months on Halo Infinite. That's, that's my guess. 10 to 12 months from now, but I could be wrong. I mean, it's not like I was wrong about that Bethesda shit. Right. Um, but no, all joking aside, I mean, that's that's how I read this. I'm, I'm expecting a pretty lengthy Halo Waypoint blog post with some nice nitty-gritty nerdy details for more hardcore Halo fans, uh, but don't expect, like, a big trailer, like, like gameplay presentation with new launch date at the end of it kind of thing because that's I don't think that's what they're working on, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope they have more to show, but who knows? All right, and then our final story of the week, guys, our wrap-up story here uh, says, uh, hoping to... F- Hoping that finding an Xbox Series X or S on store shelves would be a uh, manageable task sooner rather than later. Uh, well, it appears that it might not be the case as Team Xbox are, ant- are anticipating uh, scarcity of availability for the foreseeable future. Uh, from Windows Central, and according to those talks from the earlier story um, with Tim Stewart, the CFO at Xbox, Stewart expects that these supply shortages uh, will last at least until April, as I alluded to earlier in the show. With the new console hype and increased video game interest, ensuring supplies will dry up quickly heading into the bustling holiday season. Once outside the holiday season and with the months of 
production under its belt, Microsoft should expect to see improvements. He says, quote, I think we'll see I think we'll continue to see supply shortages as we head into the post holiday quarter. So Microsoft's Q3 calendar one, Stewart said. Um, and then we get to Q4. Um, all of our supply chains continue to go full speed ahead into a kind of pre-summer months. That's, you know, your April, May area, of course, for us here in the States. So if you're in Australia, we call that spring. You guys call that what? Fall? Fucking crazy, guys. All right. Uh, Stuart says, quote, we'll have a supply cracking over the next, uh, what, four, five, six months. And that's when I expect to see the really high demand profile start to be met, which will start to be really... Uh, sorry, which will be really, really great. Uh, that confirms what Liz Harmon um, told Xbox, or sorry, the Xbox Experience platform lead wrote on a blog post last week saying, we know that not everyone was able to get an Xbox Series X and S immediately, and we're working tirelessly with our partners around the world to bring as many new consoles to as many uh, possible over time and encourage you to check with your local retailers directly for more details on availability in your markets. Um, so, how, however, what both uh, Stuart and Harmon said was that Microsoft is still seeing a lot of success. Stuart said that the talk, uh, in the talk, that quote, gaming is just exploding. Uh, so Harmon confirmed that the Xbox Series X and X has the most successful debut in the console or in the brand's history. So yeah, I, I only bring this up. We only we already kind of touched on this in the first story, but the reason why I want to bring this little part in is because I think it's really interesting that they're expecting to see supply shortages until that late because remember what i said the xbox one was probably pretty tough to find until maybe i don't know like maybe like the february kind of window so the only thing i can think is well if we're comparing this to xbox one maybe part of what's going to delay how long it takes for this to be more readily available is the fact that they're trying to supply so many more markets at once so that could be it but then also, like, the way I'm kind of looking at it is kind of, like, implying that Xbox Series X and S are going to sell as tepidly as the Xbox One did, which just isn't the case. I think these new consoles will sell better than the Xbox One in the long run. So it's 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 hard to really anticipate, you know, what the situation is going to be because, like I said, it's just too soon to tell. Um, but to see that internally the company is expecting to be in short supply till at least, like, April, May... I think is pretty promising as far as like potential sales for the for the console goes. So we'll just have to keep a close eye on that one. But again, you know, I think everything here has to do with the fact that they're also launching so many more markets, so they just have so many more places to supply. Therefore, you know, more scarcity for markets like the U.S., where last time we were one of fewer markets to focus on. Now we're one of many markets. So who knows? Now we're, that's it. That's it for our big news stories of the week, guys. Well, now we'll dive into our important enough news stories, important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion, which we got a couple. So we'll just read through these, uh, these three real fast. So while no specific sales numbers were provided, Ubisoft have confirmed that Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, has sold more than more in its first week than any other entry in the highly successful franchise's history ever. What I tell you, people are hungry for video games and being at the beginning of a console launch is always a good place to be. Next, IGN reports that Call of the Sea, the upcoming first-person puzzle uh, adventure game, will be released on December 8, 2020 for Series S and X, Xbox One, and PC. Publisher Raw Fury uh, and indie developer Out of the Blue announced today that Call of the Sea will launch in December on Xbox Digital Storefronts and on Xbox Game Pass for consoles and PC. Those wishing to buy the game on PC will be able to do so through Steam, and uh, in the Microsoft Store. So this is actually really exciting because Call of the Sea was actually one of those games from that third-party showcase that I was really looking forward to. So I think December 8th is this perfect time for a smaller game like that. 
because we'll be a little bit removed from all these big November launches. I'm I'm personally looking forward to that one, so that's good news. And then lastly, Minecraft now has an official Star Wars DLC that includes content themed to the original trilogy of films, as well as the recent hit Disney Plus TV show, The Mandalorian. The DLC comes with a full map to explore, new textures to change the game, skin packs that allow players to dress like Luke Skywalker and company, Skin packs that allow players to dress like Luke Skywalker and friends. The DLC is available now on the Minecraft Marketplace. And that's going to do it for all of our news for the week, guys. Uh, Podcast is running a little longer than I anticipated, so we'll just kind of fly through these closing segments, you guys. But you know there are new games coming out this week. The Xbox Wire has posted that there are 13 new releases coming to the Xbox platform this week. So we'll quickly run over exactly what those are so that you know all the games you could be playing on your Xbox Series X, your Xbox Series S, or maybe your Xbox One X, perhaps even your Xbox One. God forbid your Xbox One S All Series Digital Edition, whatever. Yeah. All right, our first game here is called First Dates. It comes out November 17th, and it looks like a real-life girl. This is one of those VMF and U girls. Uh, um, this is one of those girls where it's like, I feel really bad for games like this because like it's a cool premise that like it's like real-life-looking game, you know? So it's like, oh, wow, they got real actors to do this game and everything. But it also makes me feel bad when I see these games because it's like, I wonder how long, you know, this girl has to just sit trapped in this video game before she's allowed to stop acting and come out of the video game. Is it until everyone's done playing the game? So I feel bad for this actress that's stuck in the video game. But also she's wearing Apple AirPods and this is an Xbox podcast. So fuck you for not supporting Microsoft. Get those Surface earbuds, you you, tr- you traitor. Next up, Halo the Master Chief Collection is coming to PC on on November 17th, as we already talked about. Now, this is a game that's just so awesome. The key art for Halo 4 is so good, man. That that key art of, like, Master Chief, like, like on one knee, pulling himself up and looking, like, upward. Oh, my God. It's just such a goddamn cool piece of key art with an assault rifle in his arm and in his, in his other hand. And I really love that 343 redesign of his armor. I just, I wish more people really respected and appreciated 343's Halo. It's just so good, man. Anyway, um, yeah, next up we got uh, Mars Horizon, which comes out November 16th, 17th. This is um, one of those games where you get to simulate what it'd be like to be an astronaut, uh, but without any of like the fame and glory and the chicks, so pretty cool. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire November 17th? I don't know if this is a video game or just a general question, um, but there's a bunch of like weird-looking clay figures that look like they popped out of Life is Strange Part 2 meets the sims and that's making me very uncomfortable and uh, the screenshot shows a variety of question or question with a variety of answers and the answer options are vampire dragon python and monkey and there's also four characters on the screen so i don't know if those are the names of the four characters or if that's like uh one of the questions in the game but as for the question who wants to be a millionaire uh, be a millionaire i would i assume most want to be a millionaire it's pretty Pretty dumb question to ask. Now, the Four Kings Casino in Slots is our next game. Now, this is a good game. Unlike Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, this is about this is about pulling yourself up from the by the bootstraps and 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 not just saying I want to be a billionaire, but getting out there and actually doing something about it, actually becoming the millionaire. Because in the Four Kings Casino and Slots, you get to play the slot machines from the comfort of your Xbox. So imagine just playing Xbox. And being like, oh, wow, this is cool. I'm playing this casino slot game. And then you you get the jackpot and you get rich all from the comfort of your couch on your Xbox. That's that's doing something. That's getting out there and having a dream and making it a reality rather than just 
wanting to be a millionaire, which is what I really respect about this um, this this um, self determine self determinisms game. Um, next, we got Bridge Construction: The Walking Dead, November nineteenth. I don't understand why these games are still coming out. You know, I feel like these games were popular like when the Xbox One first came out, and I'm still seeing them come out regularly. They're like it's like Crossy Road. It's like who owns this game franchise? Is this a franchise, or is everyone just harping on this games that look just like this. I don't understand. Next, we got Kid Trip on November 19th, which looks like um, uh, Alex Kidd and Indiana Jones maybe had a dirty relationship uh, and made this 8-bit game that you can play anywhere on your Xbox. And a lot of people say that I'm really harsh on 8-bit games or little old bit-style games. I want to let you know, guys, I don't have anything bad to say about this game. I actually really love the idea of Indiana Jones having sexual intercourse with... uh, Alex Kidd, of course, you know, once Alex Kidd is not Alex Kidd, but Alex Mann, you know, once he's age appropriate and uh, and making this new kid kid trip who we see here, who looks like a Indiana Jones uh, dungeon explorer guy. So I actually really support that idea of uh, of, of that relationship and um, of this game being a, a spawn of, of that relationship. So I have nothing bad to say about that eight bit game. Poker Club November 19th is coming out November 19th, as I just said. It's optimized for the Series X and S. So I wonder I wonder if this is a 120 FPS kind of game or if this is a 4K60 ray tracing game. I feel like I want to see what that ray tracing looks like on like those glasses of scotch on the poker table. So I'd be interested to see that. Now, Star Renegades comes to Android and console on November 19th, and it's available through Game Pass. This is one of those games where you play as those sci-fi nerdy guys, and you and you fight all the monsters and shit, and all the guys have suave hair that doesn't get fucked up even though they're running around caves and shooting monsters, which is something I'm envious of because I can barely go through a day of work without fucking up my hair. Uh, but Brawl Chess is our, is our next game here. It comes out November 20th, and it's exactly what you think. It's about getting frustrated at a game of chess and just brawling the person who beat you at the game. I think that actually sounds like a way more fun chess game. And then Cave Digger comes out November 20th. Um, This is a game about a grave digger who digs so deep into a grave that he discovers a cave. And his name is Maeve. And then we got Katamari Damacy Reroll, which is a re-release of Katamari Damacy. I think that game's weird enough without me trying to make it sound weird, but that game's also a lot of fun. And then lastly, we got Mice Topia, which is an 8-bit uh, explorer platforming game about a world where humans errat- or mice rather eradicate humans and make a utopia of just mice called Mice Topia. And the reason why that would be a, a, a utopia is because Humans don't have tails. Mice do. Humans can't fit through small holes. Mice can. So you tell me which race is, which, which, which species is superior. I want to live in that mice-topia. I want to be able to squeeze through tight holes and, and uh, have a tail. So that's all that's coming out this week, guys. Those are the games you can play on your Series X. I can't believe poker is like the only big draw for the Series X, but that's fine with me, I guess. Remember, guys, there's some games with gold, so... Um, you can get Origami Shadow Edition for the rest of the month through the 30th. Uh, Swim Sanity is available now, November 16th through December 15th. And then Full Spectrum Warrior, ah, you missed it, it's over. But now you can get LEGO Indiana Jones, speaking of Indiana Jones, uh, for the rest of the month. So be sure to download that. That's, that game came with my Xbox 360 when I bought it, so it's a fun thing to think about. All right, guys, that's going to do it for our show this week. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. 
I guess we're just never getting new songs from Eric, so I'm probably just going to have to write some shitty songs myself and start playing those if you want new music. I don't think anyone listens to the song at the end of the show, so it doesn't really matter either way, but today I'm selecting track number three, so let's let's plug that one in. Power your dreams, guys. I was right. Fuck you. Bethesda's on PlayStation. I'm, I win. You lose. Bye-bye. Ah, it's not just right. 